Now you can go to Romans 3. In your Bible, we'll stay here uh, the rest of the time. Why do a lot of people not like darkness? If we were given the choice right now in the uh, below the southern, uh, probably the Antarctic Circle, it's probably called, below that it is dark 24-7, just because of how the earth is rotating and tilted on its axis. Above the Arctic Circle in our winter, uh, it is dark above the Arctic Circle 24-7. And darkness is something that we don't really enjoy. I try to think, why, why is it that we don't like darkness? Well, last night I had to go out. I had a fire going in my, in my yard last night, so I was checking on it at 10 o'clock last night. And it wasn't as comfortable as going and checking on it at 8 o'clock last night when it was still light. So I have a very bright flashlight, and I have seen in my yard in the last four years that I lived there a couple bobcats, family of bobcats, and several coyotes. Those two animals alone, yeah. And I've heard that there are black bears around here. I'm like, if there are black bears around here, I live pretty close to around here. All right, so I take a flashlight, and it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to be really close to a, a wildlife that could, could maul me pretty bad. And I want to be able to see. Well, in the daytime, you can see, and it's, it's more comfortable. So not just children are afraid of the dark. If we're honest as adults, a lot of us are afraid uh, of the dark because we cannot see very well. Well, we saw last week that based on what we can see, we're all condemned. We're all guilty. And we'll use this idea of we're looking this week on what we can see. So what we have been able to see from Romans 1 and 2 and 3 has not been pleasant. It's like we have gone from bad to worse, and the worst part about Romans 1 through 3 is every mouth is stopped and everybody's guilty before God. So if you're talking and I'm talking with someone who doesn't know Christ yet, and we use the law, and we use God's judgment like, like Paul does in Acts, and like um, Stephen does, like um, Peter does in preaching on the day of Pentecost. And what Romans is doing for us is channeling all of humanity to this guilty verdict. And we want people to throw up their hands in frustration and say, who can be righteous? How in the world can any sinner get to heaven? That's a great question. And often people live their whole lives never asking themselves that question one time. And as we share the gospel with people, we want to lead people, don't get quickly to the good news and skipping over the bad or going real fast to the bad to try to give people the good news without helping them feel the weight of their sin and that they have broken God's law. And if we can think through Romans 1, it is the immoral person. And what does immorality do? All kinds of immorality that you see at the end of Romans 1, you know what that does to a culture? It destroys it. All immorality destroys relationships. It destroys humanity. 
What does Roman 2 show us? Without immorality and moral people and religious people, you know what happens to humanity with Romans 2? Humanity is deceived. Deceived into thinking, hey, I'm a pretty good person. You're a pretty good person too. Hey, we are following a system of rules, religion, that we have a good chance of going to heaven when we die. And unfortunately, the Romans 2 people aren't right with God any more than the Romans 1 are right with God. So while Romans 1 people destroy themselves and those around them in a culture, Romans 2 destroy it in a different way. It's subtle. It's respectable. But it's still deceitful, and it doesn't lead to heaven. And Romans 3 puts all of these people in one category, guilty. Guilty people, unrighteous people need God's righteousness. We sang about it. Come behold the wondrous mystery. It's it's glorious, all right? We'll get to Romans 3 now and see that not only is humanity, can they see and their mouths are shut, they can see that they are condemned. If you look back at verse 21, now has been manifested, or it's been demonstrated. The whole world is accountable to God, verse 19. The whole world knows that no human being will be justified in God's sight by keeping the law, because the law has showed them they are sinners. The religious are sinners, the moral are sinners, the immoral are sinners. All have sinned, and we'll see today. But Romans 3.23, we often pull it out and say, this is one of our Romans road verses, but Romans 3.23 is actually positive, because the positive turn from going to the depths of humanity and how guilty we are, that we turn the corner in verse 22. We stopped last week at verse 22, the middle of the verse, and so we'll pick it up in verse 22 again. And we're looking now at not the guilty humanity and everybody's guilty before God, before Christ, because of creation in Romans 1, because of a conscience in Romans 2, and because of God's law and the Old Testament in Romans 3, everybody's guilty before God. We know we're guilty because we know we're sinners because it comes through the law. In verse 22 of Romans 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is the turning point that the law and the prophets pointed to that was we started our services by even looking at Zechariah that most of us didn't even know that passage was probably there and that pointed to um, Christ and His salvation. The branch that you saw was capitalized in your Bible is Christ. And now the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's open to everybody. Everybody in Romans 1, everybody in Romans 2, everybody in Romans 3 has access to the righteousness of God. And we'll see this idea, it's for all who believe. You'll see the word faith and believe again and again. This is how, this is the only way we get God's righteousness. It's through faith. It's by believing. It is not by works. Hopefully, Romans 3 has slammed that door. If you think you can get saved by good works, that door is shut. 
It's locked. The key is thrown away. Nobody gets to heaven by works. All right, now verse 22 ends with, we stopped here last week, for there is no distinction. This sounds like at the end of verse 22, it's a confusing phrase. Like, why does he put there is no distinction there? There's no distinction? There's no partiality. There's no distinction about who then can be saved because it, it is between the, the middle of verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And how does verse 23 start? For all have sinned. So all who believe and all have sinned. And what's in the middle? There's no distinction. Everybody who has sinned has access to the righteousness of God. So Romans 3.23 is actually positive. It is the only mention in these four verses, half of 22 and then four more verses, it is the only mention of what humanity is doing. The rest of this passage is all about God, all about what He is doing. This is clearly a display of His righteousness. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is always doing what is right. You'll see the word just at the end today. Just and righteous are the same word in Greek, and so you'll see that in verse 26, and that'll be on the final slide. But I have eight points today, and all I'm going to do is give you one point per phrase, okay? So I'm going to, some of the words will, will match exactly what's in the text, other it will be an explanation of every phrase. And in Romans, we're going to have to slow down because we have a high concentration of really, really good truth. And when we know this truth, this will help us. This is going to be an overview. You hear a lot of words today. We sung several of them, and so I'll, I'll define them for you so that we come away uh, with a definition of what we know, uh, how we can see God's righteousness. So God's righteousness is all these different facets, kind of like a diamond has all these facets, but it's one diamond, and it reflects the light back, a, a, a diamond that's cut well has light that goes down in and reflects back up so you can see it, and it sparkles. And a diamond that's cut well reflects all the facets add to the, the glitter, the, the, the beauty of that stone. God's righteousness, when you think of all of His attributes together and all of what He has done for us in our salvation, we're going to mention all those. We don't have detail, a lot of, we're just going to mention them today in, in our text of Scripture, and it's going to reflect we're going to be able to see God is perfectly righteous. God is perfectly righteous, and we can see it. So, verse 22, there is no distinction. What do we learn about God's righteousness from that little phrase? There is no distinction. With the all that's before and the all that's after, we learn about God's righteousness. You can see God's righteousness through he is impartial. He doesn't look at someone in Romans 1 and compare them like often we do and say, Romans 1 people are destructive to humanity. They need to be eliminated. They need to be in jail. We need to avoid them. They are beyond hope, we would say. And God says, oh no. Immoral people can see my righteousness because there's no distinction with God. He is impartial. You see that there? There is no distinction. God is impartial. Elsewhere in Scripture, you'll have verses that match this. 
So we see God's righteousness. He is perfectly doing what's right in that He shows no favorites. He doesn't save the good and let the bad go because there's actually no good. We're all bad. And anyone who has God's righteousness, God has shown it to them without distinction. The next phrase, verse 23, for all have sinned. We know this verse pretty well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What do we learn about God's righteousness there? We well, say not much because it's about us sinning, and we're all sinners. Well, we learn something about His righteousness. What do you learn about God's righteousness in verse 23? Why does God create man? It's the end of the verse. Why does He create man? What's His design? To glorify Him. Okay, Back in Genesis 1, we're made in the image of God. Why are we made in the image of God? Different than all of the rest of creation, different than trees, different than bugs, different than, than uh, the sun and the moon and the stars. We are made in God's image. You know why we're made in God's image? To reflect His glory. And when we sin, we don't reflect His glory. What does that look like? Okay, let's take don't bear false witness, or we say lying as the, the ninth commandment. God's commandments, if we would obey them perfectly, we would perfectly reflect His glory. When, when we lie, we are breaking God's law, and we're not reflecting His glory. We're distorting the image. I have an image of my wife on my desk. If you go in there and take a black magic marker to her face, I'm not going to take too kindly to you doing that. Why? Because you're marring the image. Satan can't go after God, but he wants to mar the image. Who are the image bearers of God on this earth? It's humanity. And it's only humanity. This is what makes abortion a heinous crime, because we're destroying an image bearer of God. So what do we learn about God's righteousness? We learn God's design for all humanity is to show His righteousness. We can reflect, after salvation, we can reflect the righteousness of God. The world can see what a life looks like, and we're learning this in Titus on, on Wednesdays. The world can see the faithfulness and the love and the joy and the peace and the contentment and the long-suffering and the self-control of God if we walk in the Spirit. So God's design for all humanity is shown in verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see God's righteousness. This is the only verse that even mentions us, really, in it, or all of sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. But we know, verse 22, the positive, the righteousness of God is available to all who have sinned, all who have fallen short of the glory of God. We learn God's design from verse 23. Verse 24, all are or can be justified by His grace as a gift. The only way any of us are saved is by grace, and that grace is a gift. If I got to define grace for you, it's God's power. 
and his gift. A powerful gift is what the idea of the word grace is. Ephesians 2.8 is on our sign. It's on our, church, our shirt sleeves that we made uh, for our church as we go out and evangelize and talk to people that we want people to know. Ephesians 2.8. Why? Because we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. We are saved by the grace of God. What do we learn about God's righteousness? How does God declare the sinner righteous? By grace. A powerful gift. It's not works. If it's works, Romans 6.23 is going to tell us, then it's wages. It's what we earn. No. We are, nobody is declared righteous by working for it. We are declared righteous by God as we trust, and He says, I'll give you my righteousness as a gift. That's His grace. So that's how we get a sinner being declared righteous. Everyone, as we've read up to this point in Romans 1, 2, and 3, everybody is saying, oh yeah, we're all, we're all doomed. We're all condemned. No one has any more excuses. How in the world can anyone be declared righteous and get to, get to heaven? It's, it's a gift. It's grace. Oh, okay. Let's keep reading. Verse 24. We are declared righteous. We are uh, justified. Justified means declared righteous. Okay, so that word justified, I told you, is the, is the same word as righteous. And the word justified is someone who makes you righteous. Okay, so that's the idea of the word justified there, to make someone righteous. We are justified. I guess we're here, but this is a passive verb. It means someone else is justifying the sinner. How are they justifying the sinner? By God's grace, and God's grace is a gift. All right, so we are declared, all as sinners, we are declared righteous by grace as a gift. And then the second idea here in verse 24, we are declared, we are declared righteous or justified through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus. Now, redemption isn't a word that we use a lot because we're not in a slave culture. But if you were in a slave culture, and many slaves in Bible times, uh, they say up to a third or half of the culture, the Roman Empire, were slaves. And slaves, a little different than what we think of in our, cult, in our 160 years ago, in our culture where we had slaves in our country, uh, in that culture, you could earn money as a slave, and you could also buy your freedom if you had enough, or someone else could, could buy you out of slavery. And in the Old Testament, you see people selling themselves into slavery until they had enough to buy themselves out of slavery, or a rich relative bought you out of slavery or a friend. So the idea of redemption is attached to slavery, and someone who is bought out of slavery is the idea of this word, redemption. So if we had slaves and we had people going from slaves to free people, this idea of redemption would be a common word, which it was in the New Testament. It's not common today because we don't have slavery. So hopefully that makes sense. And so what do we learn about God's righteousness? God's deliverance of believers from slavery to sin. We are justified by His grace, we're made righteous by His grace as a gift. 
How does he do that? Well, he buys us out of slavery. And if you've got up to this point in Romans 3, everyone's going to say, so what are we in slavery to? Well, you look at Romans 1, who are they in slavery to? Their immorality. In Romans 2, who are they in slavery to? Their morality, thinking, I can be right before God without God. No, you can't. Now, the religious, well, the Jewish people of the day and the religious people around us, I just got to obey some list of rules. No. All the world is guilty before God. Okay, so everybody's a slave to sin. We'll see that again in Romans 6. But for an overview here, the deliverance of believers from slavery to sin, this shows us God is a righteous God. He's not just a righteous God, he's the righteous God. And I would add, He is the perfectly righteous God. He always does what's right. And when it comes to the overview of our salvation and all the facets of salvation that we're looking at today, we can see every one of these things is just another facet of how perfectly righteous God is. He delivers from slavery to sin. Continuing in verse 25, the end of verse 24 says, in Christ Jesus. Okay, so our redemption is in Christ Jesus. It matches what we see that we have faith in Christ, Jesus Christ back in verse 22. So, in Christ Jesus, which is the word whom, which is Christ Jesus in verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. Now, that's a mouthful. God put forward. All right, what does put forward mean? If you look that up, that Greek word means publicly displayed. If you have a court case and you have a star witness, the best witness, the lawyer may that's representing you to help you have your court case to be declared not guilty, he may wait at the strategic time in the court case to put forth the star witness, and when that witness is put forward, they are put on a witness stand. They're allowed to be questioned, and that is a public display of what really happened, all right? And so, what really happened in our salvation is that God the Father puts forward His Son as the propitiation. Now, I left propitiation on the screen because I want that word to stick in your mind. It is not a word that we use. You probably haven't heard it. You probably don't use it on a regular basis. You say, what in the world is propitiation? You can look it up in the dictionary and have something along the lines of appeasing wrath or turning away wrath. This word is also uh, translated in the Old Testament, the mercy seat, okay? So where in Israel was God's wrath turned away? On the Day of Atonement, the high priest goes in, he sprinkles blood on the mercy seat inside the Holy of Holies, and he leaves. God's wrath on, the, on sin was appeased that day at the very location of the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So God's wrath was appeased. Now, when Jesus dies on the cross... Oh, man. Three hours, He became sin for us. And God's wrath is poured out. It deserved to be poured out on the world. And it was focused like a laser beam on one person at one point in time. His name was Jesus. 
And he's hanging on the cross. And for three hours, Jesus begins and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus' blood is flowing. This would remind those Jewish people what had to be taken into the mercy seat to appease the wrath of God. The high priest, once a year with blood, he sprinkled the blood, and then he left. But on the cross, the Son of God, His blood is flowing, and the wrath of God is being poured out. And we sing a wonderful phrase that some obviously liberal churches who don't like the blood want to take this phrase out, the wrath of God is satisfied. I think it's in Christ alone. And the hymn writers who wrote that song says, no, you can't take that phrase out. That's the, <laughs> that's the focal point of our salvation, that God's wrath is satisfied. But in many, many churches, God is just a loving grandfather who winks at sin. And He's not a holy, holy, holy God. And the whole earth is full of His glory. And one day He's going to come and judge the world in perfect righteousness, and Romans 2 said, wrath and fury, fiery indignation is coming on this earth. And Christ came. It's like in the Passover, whenever the Israelites are huddled in their houses, hoping that no, the oldest doesn't die in their house. And they did everything God said, take the blood of a, uh, a lamb, sprinkle it on the doorpost, you stay in your house, the death angel passes over, you will be safe. And Christ, the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, dies on the cross. His blood is shed on the cross. And all of us who are now righteous are huddled under Christ. And the wrath of God is hitting Christ, and we are spared for all eternity. This is the beauty of this long word, propitiation. This is why you need to know that word. The wrath of God is satisfied. The fiery wrath of God is extinguished. The wrath that we deserved. The fire is out, and we will not have to endure it. And you see it here in this passage, verse 22 and later, that if we are in Christ, we're safe. Unfortunately, the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to tell you anything but Christ. Trust anything. Trust your works. Trust your religion. Trust your immorality. Trust your ability to switch what you think God is like and, and, and take whatever you think. Just imagine a God in your likeness, whoever you want Him to be, and then you, you worship Him or don't worship Him, whatever. Just get rid of Him in your mind. You can't get rid of God. He's perfect. He's righteous. And His Son's blood is the only propitiation of His wrath appeasing God's wrath by His blood. God the Father, this was His design. You see that in verse 25? Whom God put forward. 
God the Father sent His Son to do this very thing. And when the Son knows it's coming and it's close, the night before, what does Jesus say? Let this cup pass from me, which was the cup of God's wrath that He had to drink. He said, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ willingly allowed Himself to be arrested and willingly put Himself forward as part of the Father's plan to accept the wrath of God. We sing another stanza of a verse that says, He took the blame and bore the wrath. Christ was treated like the worst of sinners. How do we know that? Because the worst of sinners, the Romans won sinners, are forgiven. We'll see a lot of people like Romans 1 in heaven. And we may know them to be immoral and wicked and inventors of sin and haters of God. And when they humble themselves and turn from their sin and their evil way, God says, I will forgive you. I will take your sin as far as the east is from the west, and I won't remember it against you any longer. Because he shows no partiality. Wonderful design. We can all see that God is a righteous God looking at this text. Verse 25 continues. It is to be received by faith. You can see God's righteousness in His plan, and He expects when we see that we're guilty and every mouth is stopped, and now we see Christ and His righteousness and God's put Him forward as the only hope for humanity, and He sheds His blood on the cross, and this is the only way for you as a guilty sinner not to taste God's wrath for all eternity. He expects you to believe Him. Wouldn't we love to believe for people? Like, I wish I could believe for you, but I can't. I wish I could believe for the whole world, but I can't. God's righteousness is seen through His expecting man to respond in one way, because there's one way to get to heaven. There's one mediator. There's one propitiation. There's one way that God has designed salvation, and it leads through Christ and the cross. And as we look at the cross, God says, all right, here is your way. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. So how does a wicked, unrighteous person respond to God's righteousness. Back in Romans 1, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. But no, not those who God is calling. Well, how do they respond? It is to be received by faith. How did the Israelites respond whenever they were told, the death angel's coming tonight, take a lamb, sprinkle it on the doorpost, you stay in your homes, you'll be safe. How did they respond? They responded by faith. They believed. How do we know they believed? They took a lamb, they killed it, they sprinkled the blood over the doorposts, and they were spared. They learned in the Old Testament, trust in God's Word, trust in God's 
ways. And when it comes to His Word and His ways, His, his Son is the perfect representation of both of those. And He comes. He dies. He takes God's wrath. And we can watch the cross. And even a centurion who doesn't know the Old Testament says, surely this was a righteous man. Surely this was the Son of God. Look at how all of creation responded to when this guy dies. Whoa, something happened here that is unnatural. He didn't even know that all the graves were opened up and many people were resurrected at that very hour too. But what he could observe, he says, okay, we did something wrong in putting this guy to death. From what I can tell from the gospel's account of this man, it's likely that that's his faith testimony. We may see this guy in heaven. And he may be known, and he won't be known in heaven, but he may be known on earth as the centurion who put Jesus to death. But in heaven, he's a saint. And after he, if he turned from his sin and trusted Christ alone, God declared that man righteous then. We see other centurions um, around Christ and in the book of Acts that come to Christ as well. We'll see Roman soldiers in heaven. We'll see wicked people that were on death row, and they trust Christ. We'll see them in heaven because of faith. That's verse 25. B, and then we have a third phrase in verse 25. To receive by faith, this was to show. Okay, this is why I chose the word visible. We can see God's righteousness and this passage leads to verses, into verse 25 and verse 26. This was to show God's righteousness. Okay, so while all the world, back a few verses early, their mouth are stopped and everyone realizes there's no way anyone can be righteous apart from God. We're all guilty. No one can work their way to heaven. That's the conclusion in verse 20. Now the conclusion of verse 25. All the world says, God is righteous. We can see it. We see it in all of these things, these six things so far. And now Paul says, I, I, I showed you all these things in, the, in this, this line so that everyone can see God's righteousness. You see that at the end of verse 25? Because in His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. Oh, there's so much in that phrase. What is he saying? And our seventh point here, his patience in passing over sins. That word is only translated twice in the New Testament. The other time, look back with me at Romans 2, verse 4. It's also mentioned here as well. And it's forbearance in the ESV. It might be patience in your translation if you're not looking at ESV. But verse 4 of Romans 2, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? I think it's translated patience there. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So how does God expect a guilty people in Romans 2.4 to respond to His kindness? He allows people to live a wicked lives, and sometimes at the very end of their life, He allows them to repent, and He allows them to live in heaven for all eternity, having lived most of their lives in sin, hating Him, immoral, moral, without Him, what do we conclude? He's a patient God. 
and His patience. And many of you are saved as adults, and you're like, man, I could have died before I trusted Christ. Whoa. And you know why you didn't die before you trusted Christ? Because God is patient. His patience is meant to lead you to repentance, back in 2.4. Now His patience is lead you to faith. It's meant to lead you to trust Him. So you see both elements of our response to the gospel, repentance in 2.4, and now faith in Christ alone. His patience in passing over sins. So we talk to people and they say, you're no better than me. I say, no, I'm not. But I'm forgiven. And if you want to be forgiven, there's one way to be forgiven. So we're not better than Romans 1 people. We're not better than Romans 2 people. We're all, if we're in Christ, we have been forgiven. We have Christ's righteousness. So that's number seven. And now number eight, and we're done. Now all the world can see Him as the only just judge and the only one who can make a sinner righteous. Look at verse 26. It was to show. So you see the word show both in the end of verse 25 and the beginning of verse 26, which is why we say God's righteousness is visible. It's obvious. Verse 26, it was to show His righteousness at the present time. Now, we saw that time reference back in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law by Christ Jesus. So, at the perfect time Christ comes, God shows the world He is righteous through the person of Christ, through the plan of His salvation, through the death of Christ. And all the world who is guilty is looking at Christ and saying, i got to trust Him. He is my only hope to escape God's wrath. And God says, yes, it was to show that God is righteous at the present time. So you look at what happened at the cross, and God is the one who puts forward Jesus as the righteous one. And God is also just. He is judging Jesus on the cross. And Jesus is the justifier of the one who has faith in Him. One who has faith in Jesus. So all of this is about God and His glory. Isaiah and Moses got to see the glory of God. They would have loved to have seen the cross. We have a, such a good view of the cross as we look at how much detail is in our Bibles, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and how Acts and Romans and the rest of the New Testament points back to the cross and the empty tomb and says, can't you see? God is the perfectly righteous God. He is the just judge and the one who can make the sinner righteous. Like, why in the world can't you see it? And the problem is that proud humanity doesn't want to see it. And they tell us to stop talking. And they tell us, you know what, that's good for you. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to try to establish my own righteousness. I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to try to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I'm going to go here and try to figure everything out. And you can't figure God out. You trust in a God who has figured it out. And we plead with the lost 
your lost condition and God's patience and perfect righteousness is meant to lead you to repentance in 2-4, and here it's meant to lead you to faith. And that's how we respond to the gospel. That's the only way. It's all about God and His glory. So let's remind ourselves, as we do every Sunday, that we have Christ's perfect righteousness. And 27 next week will put us in our place if we think we get a big head about getting God's righteousness. And we go, we thank God for His righteousness, we praise Him. Life, our, our eternal life, life now is all about God. Whatever He says goes because He has saved us. We thank and praise Him because He is our righteous God. Then we take this wonderful news to a world that is trying so hard to establish their own righteousness. They're so confused. They're following so many other false religions. They're following their own heart. Those poor people following their heart. It's awful. And we tell them there is one person who is just and the justifier who can make you righteous. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. I pray that as we meditate on it, that our hearts will grow to appreciate you, to praise you. Help us to hate our sin that Jesus paid for on the cross. Help us not to justify ourselves. Help us not to look down on people who aren't believers. Help us to pity them and have compassion toward them and point them to your perfect righteousness. Help us to plead with them that there is only one way to be righteous, and you have provided the only and the perfect way. Thank you for being a perfect God. Thank you for showing us your righteousness at the cross. And help us uh, to determine this week. Give us opportunities this week. Put unsaved people across our path that we can talk to and point them to your glory and your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.